Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, November 9th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Joe Biden will become the 46th president of the United States, but can he bridge the gap between progressives and moderates within his own party? And what will a Biden administration mean for any trade deal between the US and the UK? Plus, the pandemic has hit even the largest companies hard, so hard that they're having trouble paying their rent. And one landlord is now threatening legal action over the late checks. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. It felt like the whole world was waiting a lifetime for the results. But four days after Election Day, Joe Biden was elected the next president of the United States. I pledge to be a president who seeks not to divide, but unify. Who doesn't see red states and blue states, only sees the United States. But Biden's mission to unify the U.S. isn't limited to Republicans and Democrats. No, the president-elect will also have to figure out how to get members of his own party on the same page. To talk about how he plans to do this is the FT's Lauren Fedor. Lauren, what are the main sticking points between progressives and moderates? Sure. So last week's election was obviously a big win for Democrats when it came to the presidential contest, but it wasn't completely a success story. And in fact, when you look at the congressional level and you look at House races, the Democrats underperformed there. That's a big deal and it's upset quite a few Democratic uh, members of Congress. Last week, actually, members of the House Democratic Caucus, they had a phone call that got pretty fiery. And one member of Congress in particular, a woman named Abigail Spanberger, she is a moderate House Democrat. She just eked out a win in in her district in Virginia. And on this call last week, she really laid into her colleagues. She didn't name anyone by name, but it was clear that she was talking about some of these progressives, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who are really on the left of the party. She said that they can't use words like socialism or socialist because it'll be, you know, putting them vulnerable to attacks. She also went on about questions of whether or not to defund the police. Right. It wasn't just the House that underperformed. There was some thought that the the Senate would also flip to blue, and that doesn't seem like it's going to be the case. So I guess, Lauren, what are the possible consequences if Biden acts more favorably to either the moderate side or the progressive side of, of Congress? Right. So with this diminished majority in the House, that really leaves Joe Biden and and Nancy Pelosi, the top Democrat in the House, with a lot less room for maneuver. It means that they're really going to have to work for every vote on every issue. And if they pull together a proposal that maybe is deemed too centrist or too far to the right by the left wing of the party, there could be quite a few members of Congress who, who refuse to vote along the party line. You know, at the same time, if they put together proposals that are deemed too far to the left by the centrists, they'll lose those votes too. And and remember, we're only talking about the House. You mentioned that the Senate at this stage looks most likely to stay in Republican hands. Let's assume that Mitch McConnell is leading the Senate. I don't think that he's going to be willing to strike a deal with the House Democrats if they're moving to the left rather than to the middle. So then how does Biden do it? How, how does he bridge the gap then? 
I mean, I think it's a tough question, and I'm glad it's his job, not mine, to figure it out. People on both sides, they say that Joe Biden is good at cutting deals. He is someone who was in the Senate for decades. And when he was in the Obama administration, you know, the president often called upon him to help strike a compromise. So there is quiet optimism, but also much trepidation on Capitol Hill about whether or not he'll be able to be the guy in the middle brokering a deal once again. Lauren Fedor is the FT's Washington correspondent. She covers U.S. politics. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks, Mark. Britain's attempt to win trade deals outside the EU has only had one major success so far, a trade deal with Japan. The big prize is a trade deal with the U.S., something that Boris Johnson had hoped to reach this year, but under President-elect Joe Biden, that prospect looks further away than ever. So what are the incentives for both sides and the obstacles they have to overcome? David Bond, our Brexit editor, discusses this with Sebastian Payne, our Whitehall correspondent and host of the weekly Payne's Politics podcast, as well as Amy Williams, our Washington correspondent. So Amy, we know that the Trump administration was at least in rhetorical terms keen on reaching a trade deal with the UK. Do you think it would be less of a priority under Joe Biden? In a word, yes. Joe Biden has explicitly said that trade is not his number one priority and he will not be pushing forward to do trade deals, uh, especially with the UK, who is obviously a, a relatively small partner to the US. Now, look, there's clearly an imbalance in power here, given the relative size of both economies. But bilateral trade is already at relatively high levels. So what does each side really stand to gain from a deal, Seb? I think a US trade deal is much more symbolic about the political links between London and Washington than really changing the economics on this. The impact on GDP is quite minimal. And as we know, all the talk of US trade deal has raised complicated questions about food and agricultural standards, the access of big US companies to certain UK markets. And both sides have been working through those areas over the past couple of months. But fundamentally, I don't think the precedent change is actually going to change the trajectory of the trade deal. It was always going to be difficult. It's just going to be less of a priority now. But Amy, what about the relationship between Joe Biden and Boris Johnson? It's obviously not as close as the relationship between Donald Trump and Boris Johnson. Is that likely to be a problem, do you think? I think it's definitely fair to say there's not the affinity between Boris and Biden as there is between Boris and Trump. It doesn't mean that a trade deal will be derailed. But there's not going to be the same impetus and urge from Washington to get this done. And of course, the internal market bill has not helped matters, has it, Seb? No, and we know that Biden very much wears his Irish identity close to his heart here. And I do think that the issue of the internal market bill and those controversial clauses that would have potentially overridden the withdrawal agreement with the EU, the pressure will only increase on that. He will not do anything with the UK if the Good Friday Agreement is in peril. People in Downing Street and the Foreign Office understand that. And I think that's what they've been preparing for. Amy, what would you see then as the broad outlines of a deal if there were one to be reached? The UK will have to make concessions. The big question is how much they can stomach to concede and whether they can come to some understanding whilst reassuring the British public, because this has to be sold to the British public as well. But there will be still some huge, huge difficulties. So tweaks they will need to make to this trade deal. So uh, British officials said they'll focus a bit more on environmental protections, climate change, 
workers' rights is another big concern of Democrats. And there's also this big fight about digital taxes. The US is saying that this unfairly targets American companies. Biden thinks that too. That's not just Trump. So how soon do you think a deal could be reached? I mean, there are technical reasons why Britain has to really try and bring this to a close quickly, aren't there? As we've reported before, they need to have this deal done and ready to put before Congress next spring. So the UK strategy is to try and get as much done with Trump's negotiators as they can so they can just present an almost complete deal to Biden and hope that he just signs off on it. If they miss this April deadline, then they lose what people are calling fast-track protections under the US Congress. So those protections do run out and the UK does need to try and get this done so that it can have those and push this through Congress. Last words to you, Seb, on this. When, when do you see a deal being reached? Um, I think the timetable Amy's put forward sounds pretty realistic to me. So I think the focus in Westminster will shift from trade to diplomacy. And yes, they'll want to keep it going, get a deal. But it feels to me as if a trade deal between the UK and the US was always going to be about political symbolism and any economic games will be even more minimal. And we should also remember as well that despite all the talk about how the Trump administration has been friends with London, it hasn't actually given that much realistic. There's not that much benefits. And I think the fact that there's still not a trade deal and not one in the foreseeable future does just show that maybe the benefits of that Johnson-Trump special relationship were somewhat overstated. Sebastian Payne is our Whitehall editor and Amy Williams is our Washington correspondent. And the UK is in its second coronavirus lockdown. It'll be a huge hit to businesses that rely on in-person foot traffic, and that lack of business will make it even harder for companies to pay their rent. But despite the circumstances, shopping center landlord Westfield is threatening legal action against tenants who can't pay up. And these are high-profile tenants, Pret-a-Manger, Hugo Boss, and the UK's largest independent toy retailer called The Entertainer. The executive chairman of The Entertainer received a letter that the FT was able to see. It said either pay Westfield its bill in full or face legal action to collect the outstanding rent. The threat was withdrawn after The Entertainer's executive chairman contacted his local MP about the dispute. Rent arrears have been up since March, according to the chief executive of the British Property Federation. And this lawsuit comes just before the all-important holiday shopping season. The Entertainer called the suit irresponsible during the pandemic, Pret and Hugo Boss could not be reached for comment. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America NA, copyright 2024. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 